Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. The word of the Lord. A reading from Second Corinthians. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Passover of the the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. 
the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning, everybody. So I've been uh, out of town the last couple weeks in Southern California on vacation, and, but I was able to listen in to Father Chris and Father Pete's words about 2 Corinthians 4. I think Pete put it best when he said that 2 Corinthians 4 has Paul's greatest hits, as I recall you said. And I would agree, it's one of my favorite passages, and I loved how they both talked about how the church is the reflection of God's glory and how this glory is in jars of clay. And so as we go ahead into 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to see Paul take that a little farther in terms of what our bodies are, or what's to come. And I hope that just like how most of the scriptures seem to talk to us a lot about how we're to live in this life, which it should, the scriptures have a lot to say about what's to come as well. So let's pray. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, You conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and do your will, and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, I've lived in Minnesota for 15 years now. And one thing that I know for sure is this is a very outdoors-loving place. And so I don't want to be too presumptuous here, but I would say that most of us here probably have a love-hate relationship with camping. So I I recently came across a a quote from a pretty famous comedian. Uh, He he and his wife were kind of debating where they were going to take their family vacation. And the the wife says to him, you know, can't, we, they want, he, she wanted to go camping, and she, she defended it by saying, camping is a tradition in my family. To which he responded, it was, a tradi- it was a tradition in everyone's family until they came up with the house. <laughs> so, you know, bringing that up, I was thinking about, you know, I was reading through uh, a commentary on this passage by Chuck Swindoll, who, famous pastor, he was actually the pastor of the church I grew up in, in Southern California, And he was talking about how, you know, camping at the beginning is great, right? You get that tent up, you're outside in the beauty, and you're you're excited. Then a few days go by. And maybe it rains, and the tent starts to, you know, leak. The pegs start coming out, and you're like, you know, I think I'd like to be back in my house. (laughs) I myself have a kind of mixed history with camping. My, my favorite story about camping, and if, if my, my family in Southern California happens to be watching this, they know what's coming here if they're on the live stream. We went in 1992 across the country on a long um, road trip. We pulled a tent trailer with our, with our minivan and parked at Fort Wilderness Campground in Disney World. It was our big destination. I had grown up going to Disneyland a lot in Southern California, and Disney World was it, right? So we parked there, and this one night, we go into one of the theme parks, And a classic sort of Florida tropical storm kicked up. And so we're like, oh, okay. So we return a couple hours later, slightly dampened, to our campsite to see that a tree had crushed our minivan. 
crushed it, totaled it. So we had to buy a new car while we were in Florida. My parents, this vacation turned into, you know, insurance claims and filing and everything. And so, you know, camping, maybe not as much my thing. However, I will say, over the last few years, I, my son Wesley, 13, has really started to love camping, and I've enjoyed doing it with him. So, to 2 Corinthians 5, as Paul begins our passage today, he brings this bodies as tents picture to it, doesn't he? And I would say, just like I said about camping, that most of us, if not all of us, probably have a love-hate relationship with our bodies. On the one hand, we need to affirm as believers through the scriptures that the body matters enormously to God. Just think about what Paul would know. He would know uh, Genesis 1 and how God creates matter and calls it good. He would know the sixth commandment, you will not kill, you will not murder. It's not just don't murder, it's it's a command to preserve and protect life. And he would see all of those passages in that light, in the Torah, that he would know backwards and forwards about what we were supposed to do to protect each other from, you know, in the, in the case of the leprosy and making sure that people are staying safe. And he would know his own letter to the Corinthians, where he says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is very serious about the body. But, on the other hand... It's a tent. And we need not make it something that it is not. In fact, I think that to make it something it is not is to not properly honor God either. It would be like saying that the tent that we camp in is our permanent home. As wonderful and intricate and amazing as our bodies are, and if you ask Wes, like I mentioned earlier, as amazing as a tent is, it's temporary. It's a tent. We have something that matters beyond this matter. We, we should be of good courage since we can confidently stand before God in the judgment and because God's Spirit has given us a guarantee of a new body, this suffering is not all we will ever know. So as we go into chapter 5, I'm going to talk about three big ideas. One, as I mentioned, our bodies are tense. Two, the dwelling Spirit guarantees that we will have new bodies resurrected bodies, to be clear. And since his spirit dwells, we can live with good courage, knowing works done in courage please him. So big idea number one, bodies are tense. Paul has just closed chapter four, talking about very temporary things, jars of clay, outer selves weakening. And then he shifts his word picture to build upon chapter four even further. And I don't think that he uses the word tent by accident. I think The tent is supposed to denote temporariness, as we mentioned. But another reason I find this word picture that Paul uses so very poignant is what did Paul do for a living? If we read the book of Acts, for those of you who don't know, he was a tent maker. I think most of us, when we're teaching or maybe sharing with others, we love using examples from our vocation, don't we? I've been working for Trader Joe's for 20 years. And those of you who have heard me teach before, you've probably heard me use an example or two from Trader Joe's. And if you haven't yet, just wait a few minutes. (laughs) So tent would have been very important to Paul in his imagination and in the way he was 
in general doing his daily deeds. But I think even more so, and this is why I I wanted that Exodus 40 chapter uh, passage to be read today. It seems clear to me that Paul is also using language that's steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. I did a cursory glance of a of a book that records all the words used in the New American Standard Bible, one of the versions, the English versions of the Bible. And in this, um, this list, the word tent was used over 300 times in the scripture, but only two of them appeared in the New Testament. And both of them are right here. What's significant about that? Why would the word tent be used so much in the Old Testament? Well, the centralized worship center for the Israelites was surrounded by was was around a tent until the temple was built. So while the tabernacle was temporary and very much a tent, like our bodies, it held something precious, just like our bodies do. And the physical and the spiritual were connected at that place. However, while the tabernacle was treated with respect, it was still cloth, pillars, and parts. It was not permanent, and we just heard Carol read about how it had to be moved around and everything else. The whole point of it was to not be permanent. And just as the tabernacles was not meant to be permanent, and God had a plan for a permanent dwelling, so our bodies are tents, tabernacles that are temporary. So since we have these tents, verses 2 through 5 wrestle honestly with the implications of that. Verses 2 through 3 highlight the longing we have for something more, but also the need we have for it. While I was reading about the groaning in our tent, I think of my own life journey. I'm 46 years old. Over the years, I've realized that I have a heart condition. Whenever I'm wearing shorts, I look down at my legs and I see scars, mostly from walking through the back room at Trader Joe's and whacking my leg against a hard wooden pallet. They're all over the place. I can see that my skin is getting a little more weathered, showing its age. And I can see out there, I would imagine, that younger people are saying, oh, that hasn't happened to me yet, and older people are saying, just wait. (laughs) The tent that is getting weathered is showing its age. But don't miss this. While the tent is just temporary, in verse 2, Paul says that without a tent, we're found naked. In this context, to be found naked is to be separated from the body. So for Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, part of the hope of the gospel is a resurrected body, not a bodiless existence of a naked soul. The temporariness of our bodies creates a crisis. How are we to live apart from our bodies? So verse 4 points something else out. That we groan in our bodies, not so that we can get rid of them, Paul discards that, but so that we can long for something more. So one of the great joys of reading this passage this time, I've read it before, but going through it, it was the word picture that is in verse 4. What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I love the picture here. Think of the word swallow. And usually we don't think of swallow as too gracious or too, you know, just picturesque. Yeah, I think about, you know, I think about Jonah, that, that passage in the scripture. I also think of a, a one-year-old child getting their first birthday cake. They don't even care about, like, savoring or anything. It's just gone. 
And I think about a hot day and a really, really big glass of cold water. It's just gulped down the water. So Paul wraps up his tent language here with a reminder that we're supposed to be clothed and that life will be swallowed up. The mortality will be swallowed up by life. One commentator I read said, Our burden arises from the longing to be clothed from heaven, our new body. And the hope of that resurrection is no narcotic that leaves us listless. On the contrary, it makes us restless. And that leads me to the second big idea of the passage, which is that the Spirit is our down payment. Christ leads the way. It's our guarantee. The dwelling Holy Spirit that points out in verse 5 guarantees we will have resurrected bodies. This is a profound comfort. If we continue the thought of the tent from the Old Testament, with the physical presence of God on earth, even the eventual permanent home of God, the temple, was, designed, was not designed to be permanent. Look at what we just read, what Jesus says. Jesus really shakes up his listeners here because they're, they're ready to talk about this beautiful temple that took 46 years to build. And he's talking about how he's going to destroy it and raise it up in three days. As we ponder the tense of our bodies, it's vital to remember who we follow as disciples. We follow a risen Lord whose body was transformed and he goes before us. And he's talking about that here in this, temp- in this passage as he makes himself the temple. And I think about Jesus' baptism and how the Spirit comes down upon him. And when the Spirit comes upon him, that anoints him to do the ministry that he has been given. And that ends at the cross and in the resurrection. There we are at the resurrection again. This same Spirit is in us and guarantees us resurrection. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit who indwells you. So, Paul, thinking through that, is is thinking about that, in my opinion, here in in chapter 5. He's taking that truth about the resurrection and running with it. He's telling us that the Spirit is our down payment for a new body. Jesus himself prophesied of the temporary nature of the physical tent or temple and then leads the way by saying that he is the temple. And if that weren't enough, he makes our bodies temples of his Spirit, which point the way to a brand new creation. So what's the point? What are we to do with this? We're still in these tents, right? We still have them. Well, we have to be of good courage. Since God's spirit dwells in us, we can live with good courage, knowing works done in good courage please him. I don't know how many of you know the name Albert Pujols. How many do you know that? A few of you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Albert Pujols is a baseball player. I love baseball. And he has, for, there are only four people in the history of the game who have hit more home runs than Albert Pujols. He is the finest player of his generation. And over the last 20 years, those of us who love baseball have been able to watch him play amazing. The first 10 years, he played in St. Louis and was the best player in the game. And as he is now 21 years into his career, 
the realities of the age of his body are becoming very clear. He's, he's played amazing ball, but now he was this year actually released by his team, picked up by my team, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it has been inspiring to watch him play the time he has left with courage, with gusto, with love. He greets his teammates with a hug in the dugout when they hit a home run. He's loving it. Why? He's of good courage. He knows his body is weakening, but he can still please God and be a good teammate with the time he has left. He's a believer. He's a disciple of Jesus, and he dedicates his life to not only playing baseball with excellence, but to serving children with Down syndrome. What we do in our lives matter because of the truth that our home is with the Lord, and we work as a reflection of that. So moving on, Paul says something here in verse 8 that is a little bit of a tension, isn't it? He says, we like to say this, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And I have to be honest, when I first read this, I was a little confused. Because, okay, on the one hand, he's saying that if without our bodies we're found naked, and now he's saying that if we're away from our bodies, we're home with the Lord. And all I can really come up with is exactly what it says, which somehow... In this comforting way, when we are not, when we die, we will somehow still have this special presence with the Lord until we get our resurrected bodies. We haven't gotten them yet, and those who are, have, have, have died in the faith don't have them. We're going to say in a few minutes in the Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That hasn't happened yet. We should not let that comfort, though, lead us to believe that the physical is unimportant, since this passage teaches that we will get new physical bodies. But we can live without the dread of being separate from God. And part of that lack of fear comes from the last thing that Paul says here. It's a little bit of a different approach when he talks about the the judgment. Usually we think of the judgment as quite scary, and, and to a degree there's a healthy fear of being accountable. But notice... Paul sort of uses this truth within this context to be of good courage and in, in a way to encourage his readers. So if we have the Spirit as a guarantee of his presence and we know what, where our home is and in what we will be in the end when our bodies are given, we have the Spirit as a guarantee and we can be of good courage and look forward to the judgment. So many have criticized the idea of heaven or resurrection as pie in the sky. A certain dream that we may or may not attain. But folks, the good news, the gospel, says that God has our most basic needs in mind. He created us physical, and he is not going to leave this creation behind. The song we just sang moments ago says, we will feast in the house of Zion. Do you think that that's figurative? It's not figurative. I don't know what the menu's going to be, but we will eat. We're physical. God has given us these tents as temporary homes, and he promises to renew them so that Christ 
will forever be the first reborn of all of us. So mind your tent. Help others care for their tent. But as the realities of the temporary nature of this body come, and they always do, remember that God has a plan for that too. The corrupting nature of sin has turned our bodies into temporary tents, but the transformative power of God will ultimately swallow up that mortality forever. So, brothers and sisters, be of good courage. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for the way that you comfort the very basic things that we fear and the very basic things that we dread. We all are touched by death. We all know it's sting. Please help us to take comfort in these wonderful truths of your gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.